What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Jesse Strauss. The Oakland Police Department has marinated itself in scandal and egregious acts of violence for longer than most of us can remember. It's important to this show that we cover these stories as we learn of them. In 2015, we learned of a particularly scandalous scandal where a ring of cops in Oakland and from other Bay Area police departments were trafficking an underage girl for sex, giving her confidential police information and taking advantage of their power relationship both before and after her 18th birthday. We covered that story at KPFA not just because it's a news headline, It's important to not only have solidarity with the young woman who was involved in particular, but also to understand the police force that's charged with enforcing laws on everyone daily. That story affected people in our communities in all kinds of ways. Our guest today has written a novel rooted in that young woman's story. It's a book that has won some pretty impressive praise, not just because it's a complex and nuanced take on the impacts of poverty, and the violence of policing that paints a portrait of Oakland, but also because this author is strikingly young. She was Oakland's Youth Poet Laureate just a few years ago. She began writing this book just before her 17th birthday. She's still now just 20 years old, and her book Nightcrawling, released in June, has received praise by many, including Oprah Winfrey herself. Layla Motley is the youngest author to ever be selected for Oprah's book club, She's been a featured guest on shows from CBS's National Morning Show to Late Night with Seth Meyers, and now a guest here on our very own Airwaves. Layla Motley, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So Layla, we're going to get into the book itself in a minute, but I wanted to start with the primary story. Can you talk a little bit about what happened in the 2015 police scandal, how it impacted you? What stood out in your experience of that also for yourself as a young woman in Oakland at the time? How old were you when that happened? Yeah, um, I was, I think, a young teenager, so 13 or 14 at the time. And um, the case kind of came to light in in 2016 and and consumed our local media um, and didn't didn't really make it very far outside of that, which um, I've learned recently after like trying to to talk to other people outside of the bay about it um, and and hearing that no one has ever heard of the case. But um, in 2016, a a young girl was sexually abused by various members of Barry police departments and um over the years this case kind of unfolded but um i remember being 13 or 14 at the time and um and feeling unsurprised by the case um but also like definitely seeing it as a reflection of the things I already knew about what it meant to exist as a young girl, particularly as a young girl of color um, in a world that really isn't set up to protect us. And 
Um, and I was also struck by the way a lot of the media talked about the case and, and the, um, the lack of focus on the systemic harm to young girls and, and kind of the pattern that this represented and, um, more of a focus on the police department and, you know, some, the sanctity of the relationship between the police department and the community, which, um, obviously we already know wasn't, um, a relationship of trust to begin with, but um, I definitely remembered the story, um, continued to come back to it over the years, um, and researched other cases of police sexual violence, a few of which have, you know, made it into into some form of media or um, uh, recognition to the public, but uh, very few of which have. And and I ended up when I was starting to to think about this book, um, and Kiara kind of came to me um, and started to form in my head. I um, I came back to what it would mean to tell the story of police sexual violence, um, an iteration of it from from the narrative perspective of uh, a teenage black girl. Um, and to give validity to that in a way that I think we we don't often get to see um, teenage black girls represented. So you mentioned Kiara, and Kiara is your book's central character. Um, And she's kind of based on the real-life person who was at the center of that scandal. But I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit, like bring us into the book and bring us into that character, Kiara, who is she? We know she's in relationship to this police and rape and trafficking scandal, but who is she as a person? Um, when I was reading the book, I felt like the story really built up an entire experience from her. It's something that we don't get so much when we read the news about a particular scandal. Yeah. Um, I mean, Kiara is in actually no way um, a representation or, or based on the the woman at the center of the 2016 Oakland case. Um, I, I really wanted the the main character in this book, Kiara, to, to be her own person um, and for us to understand who she is. Um, uh, coming coming at her with an entire um with a knowledge of of nothing other than than her and um and I wanted us to be able to see the entire world of this book from her eyes um and so it was important to me that we we get to see her have this like really complex interior world um and that that is contrasted by the ways that she is is able to um, navigate and and behave externally. So we often don't see her talk as much in in her dialogue um, and and sometimes she can be more passive with other characters but then we see in her internal world that she she has a lot going on um, and that her her mind is nuanced and um, and it's rich and it's complex and I think that that kind of, of um, complication is often not given to to teenagers in general but particularly black teenagers um, so so that that was one 
important way that I, I formed her character. But I think the, the most interesting thing about Kiara is that she, she, um, she, we start the book with seeing her in, in this kind of precarious position where her and her brother, um, are living in, in a studio apartment in East Oakland and they're, building has been sold and the rent has been doubled and um and so we start with this catalyst that I think is very much familiar to um many of us in Oakland um and we see how this the 17 year old girl figures out how to um navigate a world that was not designed to care for her and um and we see kind of the ways that her and her brother have been raised differently um and and her kind of pattern of of caretaking um without without being cared for and um and then we we follow her through to how she ends up in the hands of of OPD and um and what happens there and kind of the the many different circumstances that lead to her being put in a position where she feels she has very few choices um and and I really wanted this story to to always be about her so we never hear um the the names of the the police officers throughout the whole beginning of the book we'll never hear their badge numbers um and and that's kind of one iteration of how i attempted to always redirect the focus towards kiara so you mentioned that we don't often get these dynamic stories about teenagers and black teenagers specifically i want to return to I, w- I want to ask you about that in a few minutes, because when you started writing this book, you were very much that you were a black teenager in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we do that, I'm wondering if you can bring our listeners in to your book a little bit by sharing a passage with us. And we are in conversation with Layla Motley, whose new book, Night Crawling, was released this past June. Yeah. Um, so this section is with Kiara and her best friend, Ale, and they're walking through East Oakland. Ale loops her arm around my shoulders and pulls me in, lifting her skateboard into the air and sighing. Ain't it beautiful? She shouts into the open air, and I twist my head around to take it all in. The construction still lines the alley, bang-banging wood into more wood, and I swear it's like the city is spiraling around us, skyline popping up a glorious portrait of windows and wheels that don't gotta be as large as they are. Ole's arm around me makes me want to skip, lift my knees to the sky the way we sway together. Oakland doesn't operate on a grid. We wind here, the streets pulling us closer to the bay, to where salt melts with street and bikes turn to trucks that moan and thrust forward at every light. Then they push us back toward the buildings, where shouts line the perimeter of the sidewalks, and with Ale here, I don't bother trying to decipher what they're saying or who they're saying it to. Just let the noises scatter, like chunks of asphalt out the road. I find my favorite murals, 
new swirls added to the backgrounds bordered in tags. So Layla, you gave so much incredible description of what Oakland feels like and what Oakland looks like, certainly in this passage, also throughout the book. I was really impressed particularly by how you painted that portrait of Oakland. I want to kind of return to that question about we don't have access to really dynamic stories about teenagers and black teenagers specifically. I want to ask you, though, how much of your experience as a young black person in Oakland and interacting with the city impacted how you wrote this story and how much is your experience in there itself? I mean, I think like like any writer, I I definitely borrow from my own life, um, and and it's infused throughout the book, both consciously and subconsciously. Um, I I was seventeen for for most of the time that I wrote this book, and I think that being seventeen at the time that I was writing a seventeen year old character, and um, and particularly the symmetry between me and Kiara and um, and kind of our experiences of black girlhood um, definitely helped me write her character and helped me give her character kind of this respect that I think that many of us often don't even provide our our own teenage selves. Um, I think that there's this thing that happens when we exit adolescence, the way we become um, kind of distanced from it and start to judge our teenage self. Um, and because I was 17 at the time that I that I wrote the book, I I didn't yet have the the removed position to be able to to judge myself and in some ways to judge Kiara too. So um, I think that that helped me continually respect her story and her personhood um, as I wrote the book. And I, I really wanted this story to, to be a representation of, of the Oakland that I grew up in and, um, and an Oakland that is, is really whole and, um, and nuanced and, uh, and kind of outside of the binary that I think we often see Oakland through, um, at least outsiders do. And so I, I wanted it to be able to feel Oakland in this book. And it was definitely a challenge at times to figure out how to, how to write that in. But, um, it was really important to me too, that it, it feel like a representation of Oakland and in particular representation of Oakland from the eyes of like teenagers. Um, cause I think a city looks different when you're, you know, 17 than it does when, when you're 30 or 40 quite the perspective from someone who's been in Oakland your whole life and is still only 20 years old. I really appreciated all of how you included that perspective in your writing. So Oakland is the physical setting of your book, but to my read of it, like poverty and the lack of resources is kind of the social setting. Mm -hmm. um, as I was reading your book, I kept feeling like the scandal with police was kind of a vehicle to talk about how poverty and access to resources or lack thereof kind of removes the ability for some to choose a path to dignified work. Mm -hmm. So Kiara, your main character, made decisions 
that were so defined by her lack of resources that her logic doesn't even come across as flawed. But then when we kind of zoom out and think about it, she does make decisions that lead her down a really challenging and rough path. Can you talk about how you portrayed poverty in that very complex but also really easy way to relate to? Yeah, I I really love what you said about um, about her her logic, um, both mm-hmm. not necessarily seeming rational, but also at the same time not entirely flawed. I think that Kiara is you know, in the position where she, sh- choice becomes very much ambiguous. And I think that um, particularly in a story that that partially is about, you know, consent and, and lack thereof um, and, and choice, I, I wanted to blur the lines um, as I think life often does for us. Um, and so mm-hmm. it, it was really... Um, the the beginning of the book i think kind of set the the landscape for for kiara and and her relationship to to resource and money and and poverty and family um which i think are are all intertwined for her um and and so by having you know home be something that that is suddenly um very much precarious in in the beginning of the novel we we kind of see her um struggle with what it means to to like have a self and protect oneself and and protect one's family too um and and i think that that kind of instability within within her ability to even stay in her home um and and to feel at place or um, like she she belongs uh, sets us up for the many choices that she then has to make um, and kind of the the closedness of those choices the the trapped um, feeling whether or not we can find you know loopholes for her I think that it was most important to me that we see where she is at the moment in which she makes choices that lead her down one path or another um and it I think that it's also necessary for us to look at the way that um yes poverty is like this overarching um system and and social setting that we come to understand these characters but we also have to understand them through the limits of the other systems that make this life possible for them um that create the circumstances that we meet them in um and so just, I mean, even where, where Kiara begins with her job search, um, we see the, the uneven foundation of what it means to attempt to get a job when she doesn't have a resume and she doesn't have a printer and she doesn't have a high school degree. And the, the kind of social rules around employment and, um, and and the kind of arbitrary ideas about who is qualified for what that lead her into um into sex work and 
then, um, and I think for me, it was really important that sex work is, is, um, her, her relationship with sex work is shown through, um, both these two different lenses of her getting to, to feel in some ways in control, um, and, and to meet her need of, um, of some kind of, of, ability to to obtain resource and to care for the people around her and at the same time because of the criminalization of sex work um she ends up in a position where she is uh where the the legalization of her harm leads her into uh, a relationship with the the police uh, officers um who who she meets that that she really can't find a way out of. And so I think that poverty kind of is um, a vehicle to understand many of the other systems that control the way that Kiara is able to to move through the world. And, um, and we see it both as a, a kind of... Um, it, it is a foundation of her, of her world, but also not one that she continually um, thinks of or names as poverty. Uh, and I think that it's also important that we see like kind of the normalization of it in her world and um, and her continual ability to also find hope and love and um, and moments of joy despite all of the other ways in which we we see her. Um, cope and and hurt we are in conversation with our guest layla motley this morning layla motley's new book is called night crawling layla i want to step away from the actual novel content for a moment when i google your name we come up with all this pretty incredible coverage of of who you are you're 20 years old you're from Oakland. You've been writing for quite some time. This is somehow, in my imagination of it, somehow your third novel. You've been the youth poet poet laureate in Oakland, um, and you're now a best-selling author. Can you tell us a little bit about what's your own trajectory as a writer? Yeah. Yeah, um, I think I've been writing since I learned how to. Um, I think it's it's almost like an innate um, way for me to to experience myself and and the world, and um, and so it's always been a part of my life. And then um, I, I think I wrote my first novel when I was fourteen. And I started um, performing poetry at 14, too. Um, and then when I was 15, I wrote my, my second novel. And, um, and then I, I became the Oakland Youth Poet Laureate when I was 
16. Mm. And, um, and so I, I kind of got very accustomed to performance, um, and, and to poetry as kind of this like immediate way that we connect with an audience. Um, and then, uh, when I was, I think the month before I turned 17, I started writing night crawling and, um, and then I signed my contract on my 18th birthday, um, and I think, I think a lot of my, um, writing trajectory has just been like following the stories that feel, um, the most vital to me and, uh, and kind of allowing that to lead me and, um, and not worrying too much about the rest of it. So I was chatting with someone who I think, you know, pretty well, he is a writing coach and writing teacher. He's quite a bit older than you. Zach Weiner um, told me, and he told me that I could quote him on this in our conversation, but um, he said that by the time she was 14, Layla was already better than me. Um, By 15, the two of you created a program called Lift Every Voice. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that program and also your trajectory kind of focusing on and around incarcerated and system impacted youth. Yeah. Um, when I, when I was 15, I, with, with Zach and, and I partnered with other people too, but, um, through the library, we in, in the library, we had these weekly, um, art and writing workshops that centered around um, youth incarceration and art advocacy and what it meant to um, to use art as a vehicle for change. And um, and I I think for me at the time it was it was both like a way to explore connection to and and what it means to have like groups of young people come together um, from the various ways that we are able to exist depending on um, on really the way that the system and the state has or has not infiltrated our lives um, and um, and so from from there I think that I I became very much invested in in abolition work and what it means mm. to um, to question systems that we have never been um, taught that we could even exist without um, and and so I, I've I've definitely followed that work through too um, and and also continued with with what does it mean to to write with the um, with the knowledge that like stories do have an impact. Um, and, and I, I think that that's like a huge part of, of how I think about uh, novel writing and, and poetry too. So one of the things Zach told me with about that program, Lift Every Voice was you were 15 years old and you approached him about creating this thing. Um, he also said that when you decided you wanted to write a novel, you just sat down and worked on it for four or five hours a day. Um, how do you have so much determination and focus and intent? It is hard for any of us, especially, you know, in the social media age, but even in general, to to have that determination. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that I, I learned discipline pretty young um, and... 
And I, I kind of taught myself how to leave everything else behind and focus and put in the work. Um, so I think that consistency and, and knowing that like what you put in is, is often what you get out. Um, when it comes to writing, I, that, that's been kind of like my guiding force for how to, um, how to write a book. And, um, and so when I, when I come up with my idea, I, I pause for a couple months. I make sure that it it is the thing that I want to write because I do, um, I do acknowledge that it is a commitment. It's like, it's a long-term relationship with a book. Um, You know, you're going to spend the next three to five years with this book and you have to like it enough to, um, to be okay when it is bad and to continually try to make it better. So I, I pause. And then when I start writing, I, I come up with like a schedule that works the best for, for me at the time. And night crawling was a really quick, uh, drafting period. So I think I, I did the first draft in two and a half months and that one required a lot of discipline. Um, and I was also working, um, and so I, I often was writing on my breaks and late at night too. So um, I think discipline's a huge part of it. But I also um, I I think I just really strongly believe in the stories that I tell and the work that I do. And um, and so when I when I falter and I want to give up and it's hard, I I continually come back to. Um, so, so why I do it in the first place? Well, you know, you say you really believe in the stories you want to tell, and clearly, so do so many other people. You're a 20 year old best selling author on the Oprah's Book Club recommendation list. Um, Obama read your book. We're in conversation with Layla Motley, whose new book is called Night Crawling. Your book is being translated into more languages than I can list right now. What's it like to get all this attention and all the praise? How does that feel? Um, it's really hard for me to to even process. And um, I when when the book came out, I kind of had to to step back from the internet because I I was experiencing a lot in real life too. Um, I was on tour for about a month and and so I I mostly experienced the the launch through you know readings and things like that but um there's like this whole world on the internet that most things around books um happen and and a lot of the conversation around the book has happened um and so I get kind of like a a daily digest by by my team and my partner um but it's almost too much for me to handle Mm -hmm. I don't think that there's any way to um to really even internalize any of it um it almost doesn't feel like it's about me um which in in many ways it's not because it's 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 about the book and and the book was written by me three years ago um which is a very different person and writer than I am today Mm. so I think that removal also helps, but I I'm in kind of awe of of all of the um, love that the book has gotten, and I'm I'm so grateful for it. I think that it's a important story, and 
Um, and I continually think about just like Kiara and and the many people who who now um, are invested in in her and her world. Absolutely, I I have to ask though. I'm wondering, does it feel hard to trust like the business side of all this? Like all of a sudden you have all this attention that's so different than what it was, I don't know, maybe a few months ago, certainly a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I I mean, even even within the book, Kiara's character kind of is trying to figure out how to hustle and she lands herself in a position where she's also really being hustled. So I wonder, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm certainly taking this out of the context of your actual book, but I'm wondering if you ever worry that with all this praise and, you know, I'm sure you have all kinds of business contracts surrounding it and all that. um, Do you ever worry that the business of it may be trying to take advantage of you in some kind of way? Like, do you trust the intentions of all these people and companies that you're dealing with at this point? Yeah, no. Um, I think that I, I'm definitely hyper aware of of bureaucracy and kind of the um, the eye towards profit that m- most of the world has, and um, and so I I do a lot to try to protect myself um, and and make sure that I'm making decisions that make sense for for me and my art. Um, and I also do this kind of separation between me as a writer and me as an author um, because they're they're two very different things. And um, and I definitely prefer the writing, um, but I I think being an author is also learning how to um, to handle a business and. Um, that is a challenge. It's particularly a challenge when um, I think that as as both a black woman, but also a, a young black woman, it's very easy for people to believe that they can take advantage of me um, or that I, I don't know what I'm doing, which often I don't, but I, um, I learn pretty quickly and I figure out what I need to know to, um, to be able to support myself and, and, um, and make sure that my needs are getting met. So I think a lot of it has, has been um, a learning process and, um, and I try to make sure that I am am doing like my very best to to remain um, kind of objective and and to protect myself as much as I can because I know other people aren't aren't going to do that for me. Um, and and I think definitely that um, kind of parallels Kiara and um, and I think that it's a it's something that many of us have to learn and I think a lot of black women learn young that we need to figure out how to defend ourselves and protect ourselves um, when no one else is going to do it for us. You mentioned that sometimes you don't know what you're doing and as someone who's a little bit older than you um, my experience in the world is that as as I interact with older and older people on a more peer level, most of us truly don't know what we're doing. And it seems like you are many steps ahead of most of us. Um, <laughs> I also wanted to ask you and and refer back a little while ago, you talked about yourself as an abolitionist in some of the work mm-hmm. you've done in Oakland. Um, I'm wondering, and I think it's 
particularly important to ask these questions of young people in the community. And we are talking to Layla Motley, who is a 20-year-old best-selling author from Oakland. Um, the main character in your book is named Kiara. Um, and, you know, I'm wondering if you were to try and rethink the resources that Kiara could have had as a young person, and you could also answer this question is if you were to try to rethink the resources that you saw around yourself as a young person in Oakland, what comes to mind, you know, through, through that abolitionist lens, certainly part of the understanding is that, you know, police don't actually fix our problems. Um, mm -hmm. Another side of abolitionist thinking is trying to imagine what could uh, mm -hmm. support our communities and deal with problems, potentially fix, but certainly deal with problems. If you were to try to think about resources that Kiara and or just young people in Oakland could have, that would be different from what folks in general have. What comes to mind? Oh God, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think that first and foremost, like housing as as a like stable and basic right. Um, and, and I think that you kind of have to start there. Um, and, and I, I also think that for Kiara, um, I mean, there, the reverberations of the justice system run through her whole family and an impact the way that she was able to, to be a child or not. Um, and, and I think that um, part of, what she needed was also kind of, I, I think, in the model of restorative justice um, and and kind of the idea that we can't even um, begin to reconcile with harm and and what what it means and um and how to recover from it if we don't confront and and talk about it um i think that kiara is kind of drowning in the silence and the the generational pattern of silence um that i think a lot of us learn to to protect ourselves um and and i think that um that the the model of restorative justice is is one way to think about it um and and also i think that we we kind of owe each other um more conversation around the ways that we we continually hurt each other and how to um how to come back from that and how to um to see each other through that and um obviously you know food justice and um reproductive care and all of all of these very much uh, basic rights and needs that um, that I think have to be addressed before you can get to to really anything else. Um, I think that a huge part of um, of abolition is is being able to imagine things that that really just don't exist and haven't existed. Um, and a lot of that is about stepping into fear and leaning into fear um, and into the unknown. And I think that that's often what um, people struggle with with the idea of abolition is mm. is how do we even begin to to be okay with with 
potentially entering something we don't know anything about. Um, and I think that that's also part of the beauty of it. Um, and, and thinking about like the ways that we can reimagine the world, um, and reimagine what, what we have, um, and what we don't, um, into something that we, we might not even initially begin to think of. Um, so I, I don't know, I'd have to think more about all of the, the other different, um, systems and and resources that that we would need um and that Kiara would need but I I definitely think that um a lot of it is also our examination of the ways that we relate to each other because um a huge part of how Kiara ends up in in the situation that she does is is because of the the kind of historical pattern of of misogyny and the um the domination of black women and the the need to control black women and neglect black women um and and i think that if if we attempt to to look at what different systems are in place we also need to look at the ways that the these systems have have changed the way we think about ourselves and each other too and the ways that we relate to each other well, Leila Motley, I'm certainly excited to continue to read about how you reimagine the world um, and how you continue to rethink resources. Um, clearly, you're having a significant impact. I'm wondering, what's next for you? You're 20 years old. You're kind of in the prime young adult, post-high school for some people, college age. Are you working on 100 more books and writing 100 more poetry books are you going to college what does life look like for a 20 year old best-selling author yeah yeah um I am um I'm writing I am <laughs> um, I'm kind of constantly writing but I have a poetry collection coming out in the next year or so and then I'm working on another novel which I can't say too much about but um it it definitely explores kind of the idea of um, forgotten and sidelined um, black girls. And at the same time, it's sort of set in a very different place um, and, and explores some different themes and, and has more of an ensemble feel. So um, I'm always writing and always working on, on new things, um, but also open to many different ways the life could take me. We've been in conversation with Layla Motley. Her latest book is called Night Crawling. Thank you so much for joining us, Layla. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. 
our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.